All right, if you got your Bibles, go to Matthew 16. That's where we're going. And if you have a Bible, I need to see your hand in the air because you need a lot of Bibles out here. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Thanks, guys, for leading us. Appreciate it. All right, I need to hear from you on a couple of things. First of all, um, who's enjoying camping? All right. I want uh, I want the Sloans to just stand up for a second. The whole Sloan crew, where are they at? Give it up for the Sloans. Listen, I asked if there was any announcements that needed to be made, and it's honestly just gone so smoothly that the only announcement is that we're here next year. Jeff has already booked it for next year. So same place, same time. Mark your calendars. And thanks for making it just an awesome trip. What we're doing here is is just evidence of some of the good things that's going on in our community and in our church. So awesome for that. Listen, I need to hear some feedback from you, and I, I want you to try to limit it to one word, which will be a little bit of a challenge, okay? But living out here in the woods, camping, is a little different than living at home. What are some of the differences that go on with, with that? Maddie? Campfire. Campfire. You usually don't sit around a campfire every night. Tegan? You get s'mores. You get s'mores more often. What else? Way more fun. Way more fun. Which one, here or at home? Out here camping? Is that what you're saying? Okay. You sleep in a tent. You sleep in a tent. That's different. You're mostly outside. You're mostly outside. Jacob? Eating dinner. Eating dinner. You get to eat under... You sometimes have leaves fall on your plate, huh? That doesn't happen at home. No. You got it. All right, shh, listen up. Trees. Trees, all the trees around? You don't have any trees in your living room? No. I don't either. Okay, here's another thing that's different. When you're out here in the woods and you come to church, I want everyone to look back at this giant chair back here. John, we're all looking at your chair right now. You don't usually have that chair at church, huh? That's another difference. All right, Nicole, what do you got? I'm just going to say giving of yourself more. Giving of yourself more. Helping each other? Sorry, that's not one Yep, that's all right. One more. Lindsay. Well, a lot harder to stay warm. A lot harder to stay warm out here, I would assume. Yeah, comfort. Okay. Now, shift your brain. Think about some things that are exactly the same. Think about some things that are totally the same as back home. Travis. Movies. Movies. (laughs) (laughs) Movies are the same. Okay, Trent. Siblings. Siblings. You still got your siblings around. Ethan. You're just as crazy. We're not dead. We still live and breathe. Go. Fellowship. Okay. What else? What else is the same? In the back, Riley. Shh, listen up. What? You get to eat. Okay? Listen. Similarities and differences. Some of the very fundamental things about being alive are exactly the same in this setting as back at home. In fact, I would venture to say the most important things are still the exact same out here. Do you need air to live and breathe? Of course you do, right? You might get cleaner air out here, in fact. You still need to eat. You still need to sleep. You still get sick. You still have your siblings. You still need to work out what it looks like to share, right, and be giving to other people. You still have to work through differences and forgive. There's still a lot of fun and laughter and joy, right? You can hurt yourself, right, out here and at home. So there's some similarities. In Matthew chapter 16, I need to turn there. I told all of you to get there. I should probably get there. I want to show you a little account of Jesus talking with his disciples, and I want to show you how what we're doing here this morning 
is gathering as the people of God for a worship service. And some people think of this as church. And we're having church outside today. It's a little bit different, but some of the fundamentals are exactly the same. And it wouldn't change whether we were at home in a padded chair with a sound system or out here in the forest being accompanied by birds during worship, which is kind of cool. Matthew 16, 13, follow along with me as I read, okay? It says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me stop there. What are some things that people say Jesus is? As you talk to people about Jesus, and I know many of you talk to people about Jesus, what are some of the things you've heard people call out and say that Jesus is? I want to hear some responses. Fire away. What? A good teacher. A prophet. Yep. Savior. What else? Ethan. Fake. Okay. Social reformer. Patty. A swear word, yeah. Yeah, an expletive, using it as a swear word. Okay. Anyone else? Huh? Just a nice guy. A nice guy, yeah, he was, a, he was a good guy, right? Those are some answers. Not the only way, okay, one of, one of many. Okay, I, I think I've heard almost all of those. Do you notice that Jesus asked this question of his disciples, and they came back kind of with similar answers, right? There's confusion about who Jesus is, right? And then he asks the most important question, he says this. I don't know the look on his face, but he levels this gaze probably at them. He says, but who do you say that I am? So I know that there's opinions out there, but he asked probably the most important question that anyone on earth could be asked, and that is this, who do you say that Jesus is? As we talk about the church, as we think about what we're doing as a people of God, that is the fundamental question, and you notice it's individual. People will have their opinions. People will have their thoughts and ideas, and those will kind of come and go. But who do you say that I am? Right? Who answers? Who answers? It's Peter, right? Bumbling, foot in his mouth, polarizing Peter. I mean, he does great things, and he does fumbling, bumbling things. And Peter absolutely nails it, right? He gets 100%. He gets an A-plus on the answer. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who gets the credit for Peter's answer? Who does Jesus give the credit to? Right. He got the right answer on the test because his father told him the answer. Right? It was spiritually discerned. It wasn't because Peter was such a smart fisherman. Among all the fishermen, he was a really smart one and got several degrees and really, really knew how to study theology. It's that it was revealed to him. God revealed himself to Peter, and Peter just proclaimed what he knew to be true. Jesus reveals something here about church. And what I want to do this morning, we're taking a break from James for a week, and we're going to talk a little bit about the church and kind of where we're going with some things. 
And he says something here that's a really, really powerful promise for us to lean on and go forward with. And he says this, I will build my church. Now, what does he call Peter first? And then what does he call Peter second? Look at it in your scriptures. What's the first name he calls him? Simon Barjona. Simon Okay. And then he calls him what? Okay, some of you know this. What's that all about? Why does he call them two different names? Peter means rock, right? What does he say right after he calls him Peter? Yeah, he says, you're Peter, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Some people have mistook that to say they're going to build it on Peter. Is our church founded on Peter? Thank God, no. (laughs) Right? It's on the cornerstone. It's on the chief cornerstone. It's going to be a stumbling block to many people, but it's on Jesus Christ. It's on the proclamation he just said. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what we build our church on, right? So it's a play on words. It's a little bit like a nickname, Rocky, right? He gives him that name. What about Simon Barjona? Why, why Simon Barjona and then, and, then, and then Peter? What's Simon Barjona, do you think? Yeah, it's just his given name. What does Bar mean? Son, right? What was his dad's name? Jonah. That's, that's by implication, we can guess that it's... So that's like, you know, saying, Travis, son of Jim. And then he talks, and then he gives him this new identity, gives him this new name, and we know him as Peter from now on. His whole identity changed, and Jesus does this little play on words of this idea of, of Rocky. You know, and it certainly isn't built on, on Peter. It's built on, it's built on Christ. But here's the best part. Who's doing the building? Who? Yeah, God is. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell won't prevail against her. We're, med- we're moving into a season of, of two services. In a couple of weeks, the dynamic of our church is going to change somewhat. And we've been taking several weeks leading up to this to kind of think through it as a community. And uh, this morning is one, more, is one more kind of step toward that direction. It's going to be a bit uncomfortable. It's going to change some things. There's a dynamic I love right now. I have personally not been in a rush to say, let's expand, let's expand, let's expand, let's grow and have multiple services and try to get to a ton of different campuses. Some of you know this, but I've gone from large church experience down to small church experience. For the sake of the gospel, though, we really feel like it's no longer appropriate for us just to have this. If in 12 years from now, we're just this, we might be accused of being a holy huddle, of just saying, man, you guys had it so good, why did you not invite more people into that? Why did you not stretch and grow and allow God to, to do some things? So in a couple of weeks, we'll be, we'll be adding a service. And again, many of you are already doing a lot of extra work. And I want to say for the community, thank you for doing that. Thank you for stepping up and doing things and making plans and preparations. We're still going to kind of fumble along the way. But we're well positioned and well prepped for two services. There's a lot of stuff that's going to go on behind the scenes that you won't ever know that's been going on and will continue to go on to make that happen. The reality, though, is every one of us here has a role to play in what two services is going to look like. Matthew 28. I want you all to turn to Matthew. Turn to Matthew 3, and you'll see why in a second. But Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. It's Jesus saying that all authority has been given to him, and therefore, we're to go and make disciples, baptizing uh, all nations and teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And what's great about Matthew 28, the Great Commission, 
is it's a great task. It's a great purpose to remind ourselves what we're doing. What are we doing here on earth? Don't get sidetracked with outdoor living, as fun as it is. Don't get sidetracked with school and with work and with building a great family. This is what you're here for. It's a great task. But isn't it a great promise? It's a promise about all authority that's been given to Christ. And the one who holds the keys to all authority is never going to leave you or forsake you. He's with you no matter where you go, even if you go to the farthest most point on earth from where we currently are. He's with you. And he still has all authority. I want to... Actually, we'll, we'll do this first. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew takes this concept of the kingdom of God. Jesus was ushering in a new kingdom. And what I want to do is this. I would like for us to kind of start to my left and your right. And we're going to kind of sweep across here. Everyone with a Bible is going to follow along where we are. We're going to walk our way through Matthew. We're going to read about 20 passages or so right now. And what I would like is this. I need always for there to be about two or three people standing up. If you're standing up, that means you're kind of in line to read the next passage, whatever that is. And you'll know where we are because we're all just going to kind of truck through these passages. I'm giving you one verse, so it won't be the back and forth of which verse, you know, what chapter, all that. We'll all know kind of where we are at. So starting in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew, by the way, mentions this phrase, the kingdom of God, 120 times. So as you read through Matthew, you get a sense of this. And what what I want to do is this. I want you to just listen to the scriptures. I want you to hear what this kingdom is all about. Okay. So as we think about what Jesus Christ is building, what he's been ushering in, this is the kind of kingdom it is. So as we think about church, these are some of the thoughts that we have. I need, starting over here, three people to stand up with their Bibles ready. And the first verse is going to be, Ron, are you up first? Excellent. This is going to go fairly quick, so thank you, just like that. Matthew 3, 2. And saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, Rhonda, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Chuck, Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sharon, Matthew 5.20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Gria, 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 7.21, Wendy. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Less 11, 11. Tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Olivia, eleven twelve. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. Rick, thirteen twenty four. These are a bunch of parables. Just listen. Just let your imagination go of where the kingdom of of heaven is compared to. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Ruth, 13.31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Will, 13.33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. 
Nimic, 1341. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will, ga- they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Mindy, 1344. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Adam, 1345. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Jenny, 1347. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind. Carl, 18.3. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Marianne, 18.23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. Ethan, 19.14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for these children, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such things. Phil, 1923. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Can I keep going? We need to do one more pass. Ben, 20, verse 1. We'll start back over here left. Thanks, Rhonda. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. Rhonda, 21-32. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. Tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Chuck, 21-43. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Sharon, 22-2. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Wendy, you're the last one. Gria, go ahead. I'm counting on you. 2313. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. You do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And 2414, Wendy. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Okay. So that's not all 120. That's, that's a smidgen of them. If you go through the, the book of Matthew alone, one gospel, and you just look, what kind, of, what kind of kingdom is Jesus building? These are the kinds of things. Don't you love that it's a seed and a landowner and a merchant and, and all these different metaphors and pictures that Jesus gives? If you're a sports person in here and you think, man, how is a good sports dynasty built? What's tempting for us is to take that and say, we should be doing that at our church so we could become great. If you're a business person in here, you might be thinking, man, the way to build a good business is this. And so you take those principles and you say, man, we should be more about that. If, if we could just do this, we could, we could in essence take this great product that I really believe in called the gospel and get it to more people. There could even be pure motives there. Take the things that of this world, right? A good country, a good business, a good family even, a good sports dynasty. And there's not often translators that go one-to-one across it because Jesus is building something totally different. And we know from the Beatitudes that he lives and he's building something that's kind of inverted from what seems normal. Where the meek inherit the earth and and those kinds of things. The first shall be last. Those who think they're going to be greatest are are actually going to be the, the last place. They've been striving to go up here. We as a church community can do the same kinds of things. 
we could be rushing headlong into, into worldly wisdom, as James would put it, earthly wisdom, right? So I just wanted to, I just wanted to paint a picture from scripture, just letting the words, the kingdom of heaven land on our ears. And what Jesus said is going to come. And if those who walked the earth with him missed it, those who spent time with him physically present missed it, there's, there's a chance for us to get off course too and to get skewed. Um, we're about to do something. I want the band guys to come on back up. Um, we're going to take communion out here. And now that you're all settled in your camp chair and most of you got a few people sitting on your lap and whatever else, um, we're going to have to get up and move and kind of be a little inconvenienced. That'll be a good snapshot and picture of what church is like sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we're going to come to the table. We're going to come to do something that Jesus left as a memorial. We're here at Memorial Park, right? You go to a memorial service, you're remembering. What's a memorial service like for a person who dies here on earth? It's different than a memorial service for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is alive and he's risen. There's similarities for a Christian because that opens the path that a Christian gets to follow on some level, uh, the, the path of Christ on that. But we're going to come and gather around the table and and celebrate communion this morning. One of the values that we have at at Neighborhood Bible Church is this. We haven't set up some kind of a specific age where we say your child is allowed to get baptized at this age. Your child is allowed to participate in communion at this age. What we've said is this. That's really on you as the parents to understand that and come to grips with, with when that is. So you'll be making the decision this morning, parents. We won't have a bouncer at the table. You'll be making a decision of, of whether or not to allow your child to participate in communion. In short, communion is for those who are followers of Christ. It's for those who are a part of the family. Um, it would be a little bit like, uh, like slipping on a wedding ring. You're not married. You're not, there's no intention of marrying, but you just wear a wedding ring around. That doesn't make any sense. The wedding ring is for those who are married, and coming and gathering around the table um, isn't something that you hope to do. It doesn't cleanse you of your sins. There's nothing of that. It's for those who are in Christ, and so that's what we're about to celebrate. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna sing a little bit. We're gonna just take a few moments. All of you have different tolerances to cleanliness and parasites, and we understand that. So if you wanna. Get there early because you're a little nervous about that. We're all touching bread and ripping it off and dipping it in. There's no double dipping, okay? It's a basic rule. Uh, we're just going to dip it in. What's the bread about? Someone tell me what the what the bread is, is all about. Um, Olivia, tell me that. Excellent. The, the bread is body. And what, what, about, what about his body? Someone else can help her out. His body was hanged on a cross. That's right. And it was broken, right? Did he do it against his will or did he do it on purpose? On purpose, right? What's the juice about? Someone tell me about the juice. Tegan. Okay. Sometimes there's one line in a hymn we used to sing. It says that his blood was spilled out for me. That sounds like an accident, like someone knocked it over. Like he didn't mean for it to happen. But it's really, there's another one that says it was poured out. When you pour something out, you do it on purpose, right? Jesus poured his blood out for us. So as we go and celebrate uh, this morning, that's what we're talking about. That's what we're doing. Um, this will be a different kind of communion, and that's a great thing. Um, it, may be, uh, it may be a little more talkative. That's fine. Uh, it may be really solemn and quiet. That's fine, too. 
What I want to encourage you is this, not to waste these next few moments as we go and we contemplate that. You can, as a family, do it. You can do it as an individual, however you want to do it. Uh, but the, the guys are going to sing and lead us in some songs. We're going to take a few moments here and, uh, and celebrate the Lord's table. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this setting. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our hearts. We thank you that you do make beautiful things out of dirt. And God, this morning, we want to freely proclaim that you get all the credit for giving us the answer of who you are. That Jesus, you are far more than a good teacher. You truly are the only way. And God, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and our Savior, and our hope. And this morning, as we celebrate communion, we both remember as we look back, but we also proclaim your death until you return. And let us keep on proclaiming that, because that is the gospel. That's the good news by which all people must be saved. So God, meet us here in a special special and tangible way this morning. Amen. Go ahead and take as you're ready. Go ahead and keep taking if you're in the back, that's fine. Uh, The rest of you turn to Luke 8, briefly. Talked about Jesus building his kingdom. It's important for us to get an understanding of what he's building so we can cooperate with him. We don't work against him. Some of the very people that thought they were doing God's will killed Jesus. Remember that part? And then Peter preaches to him early church in the book of Acts. Luke chapter 8. I just want to read for you, I just want to have us focus, I guess, on, on, on one more part here as we talk about, as we talk about building the church and, and what, we're, what we're doing moving forward. And this is a parable that Jesus is telling, talking about some of the building process and how it's going to go about. And I thought, what better setting for us to read this passage than out here? I want you to look around at some of these trees. And I want your mind to wander a little bit when Jesus says that, the kingdom of God is like a seed, for instance, or the seed, of, or it's like a farmer, or it's like some of these different things. Luke chapter 8, verse 4 says this, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I don't know what the response was, but that's an interesting sermon. And I'm sure there were some that stood around and just to kind of save face, they kind of nodded like this. Mm, mm-hmm. Like they understood all that was just said about the different seeds. But the disciples were close enough to him that they decide to press him a little bit. Verse 9 says this, And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said this, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. There's that phrase again. But for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. 
Now, the parable is this. He's about to explain it, okay? The seed, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Remember James, one of our tests of true faith is trials and circumstances. Verse 14, And what, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. I wanted to read that passage and, um, and toss out a couple of thoughts to you. First of all, those of you who are kind of business people, um, what's the rejection rate of the gospel? What's the percentage of those who reject from that parable? 75%. 75% are going to reject the word of God in this parable, right? There's four examples. Three of them go by the wayside. Now, what's the initial What's the initial return that might look after you first put the seed out? What of those four examples? What do you think? What do you think it initially looks like? Yeah, like it's been good, right? Because we don't know how long that time is where the cares and pleasures of this world choke out the word of God. We don't know that time that passes before the enemy comes and takes the seed from the path, right? So. Initially, it might look like one thing, and it's actually something else. Um, this is important for us because as we talk about growing a church, as we think about building the kingdom of God, here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that we are to cast the seed wildly. I'm convinced that we are to take the seed, the word of God, and we are to get it out there in whatever way possible. We're doing a garden. One of the ideas behind the garden is this. Wouldn't it be neat if there was some kind of an archway that when you enter the garden, there's something about the Word of God or the Kingdom of God, and maybe that's the only place people ever see God's Word, but it's on this archway as they head into the community garden. That's getting the Word of God into people's hearts. Sharon Adam, you're going to hear more about this in the weeks ahead, but Sharon Adam is taking on um, Guadalupe Elementary School and a Christian club where lots of kids are going to come and hear God's Word. And it's, and it's, um, and it's going to be getting the word of God into the hearts of kids. And what we do on Sunday mornings and what we've been doing summer theologians and what's going on in community groups throughout the week and what's going on in your home. And some of you, God is stirring, you know, we, we just, we just experienced, by the way, a ministry that the roses picked up last summer in their, in their RV park, which is to say, what if we just built some community and got some people together by a movie? Let's get a projector and a screen and let's, let's start doing that. Let's see as Christians how we can just cast the seed wildly. And I think right now for our church, this is a season 
to cast different kinds of seeds. Sometimes you cast the same seed over and over and you get the same things. Kel went through some numbers a few weeks ago. We can do right around 100 plus adults pretty well. We've got that figured out and nailed down. And some come and some go. The economy sends people on their way and brings others here and all that. What we're doing with service two, for instance, is this. We're just giving room. We're kind of like saying, God, we'll purchase another field and we'll cast more seed there. One of the laws of the harvest is this. You plant in one season, and you reap in a different season. Right? And and those who who bore fruit did it with great patience. The last two words I just read were, with patience. So that means in the early phases of a garden, in the early phases of God's Word taking root, what you're doing is you're protecting people from trampling on that. Right? You're guarding against weeds that will come in and choke out and cloud and and muddy that. So that's what we're looking to do as we move forward with this. Some of you have been in a season of great growth and a season of great receiving. Some of you have just shared, man, what God has allowed to go on at this church has filled this or has changed that or has recaptured this or whatever else. I don't see that going away, but I see as we take our attention and, and receive from one another, as we take it outward and we continue to march forward, God's going to continue to knit us together. God's going to continue to do great things to us. And when some of you are really discouraged because three quarters of your friends are bailing on the gospel and those who you thought were, were seed bearers weren't there, you're going, to, you're going to have people come along and say, hey, that's the rejection rate of the gospel. How's that 25%? How's that one person that is responding, right? And don't get discouraged. Keep casting seed. Keep tossing seed out there because there might be others who are there. Um, Here's something that's kind of interesting. Jesus has a timeline. If you go back to our our opening passage in Matthew, at the end of this little exchange where, where Jesus says, Peter, you got the right answer. I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And on me, this whole thing's going to go forward. And then he says this, shh, don't tell anyone. It's not, it's not time yet. Don't, don't say anything. You know what they had a hard time with? They had a hard time doing what we have a hard time doing, and that is obeying. We come from a long line of obeyers and disobeyers. What happens is, he would tell them, don't say anything about this. Remember that? He'd heal people. Don't say anything. What would they do? They'd blurt it all over the place. Then at the, there's, a, there's a time that comes in, in Jesus' timeline of building his church where he says, you tell everyone you can about it. And what do they do? Sometimes they shut their mouth. And they don't say it. And they pray for courage. And they say, we need to do it. Other times, they totally obey. And they're witnessing to the people who are throwing them in jail. And their families are getting converted. And all kinds of great things go on. So there is a timeline to all of this that Jesus is, is in control of. I want to wrap up our time this morning by hearing from our church community a little bit. And what I've done um, is I've asked for uh, three different voices to kind of share some things. And I've asked them a specific question. And as we gather around the family table, right, we just did this at, at communion. One of the things that's great about family is it's God's, it's God's great classroom for starting to learn about how to, how to offend and then how to make up from being offended. How to share and how to, and how to work through things. And when you're at the table, you have to look across the other, the other part of the table and you have to acknowledge that that person's there. And Lord willing, over time, there's understanding and growth and all that that, that goes on with this. Um, where is, uh, where's Travis at? Travis, I want you um, to just stand up right where you are. 
And I want you to, here's the question I gave to Travis. Uh, and by the way, I gave them these questions so that they couldn't go Google it and see what the right answer was. I just said, I just want your heart. I just want you responding to this. But here's what I asked Travis. I said, Travis, what is it that the church must do to reach your generation? Travis, how would you answer that? Okay, so the first thing for my generation is just make sure that we are aware that we have a choice in whether or not we want God in our lives. So it's not about whether our parents went to church or our grandparents, like if we're at the third generation of churchgoers. We have the option to have Jesus Christ. And the second reason is when we do fun things like this, it shouldn't just be for us body of believers. We should open it up to non-Christians so that they can come and experience life with us and see how we're different from the world and how we're set apart. So we shouldn't just keep it to our own little group of believers. We should tell everybody and invite them to Awesome. Thanks, Travis. One of the things about choice that when Travis and I talked about before is this. It's not just for those who are Christians and have Christian parents. It's also for those who, who grew up with parents who were, who were atheists or those who did not go to church. And there's power in saying every single individual has a choice, right? And so it's not just, hey, don't just assume Christian kids are going to come to church because their parents did. All that might do is breed more churchgoers and potentially more Pharisees. But to recognize, man, each kid is an individual. Each person is an individual. And God's doing something in their, in their heart. What we want is authentic relationship, not churchgoing. And what a great door that opens for those who say, but I have no background. We've had kids from next door at John Muir come in, use our restroom, peek inside the sanctuary because they've never been inside of a church. And they said, do you mind if I just peek in? I've never seen inside a church before. Middle school. I say, absolutely. You know, come take a peek. I hope you see it more often. You know, but, but that's the reality. Some come from, a, from a, a family that doesn't have any of that. And that's the power is that there's, there's choice in that. Lisa. I asked Lisa to share this. I asked her this question. What, what does the church need to do to make sure that she, the church, the bride of Christ, um, stays the course and stays on mission? Okay, so... Like Travis, two things came to mind. The first one was being really intentional about making disciples, not just taking people through maybe a book or something like that, but making it a really natural part of our lives to just be making disciples. And the second thing was, I was thinking about Acts 1-8, where it talks about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, and just making sure that we're really treating all of those things as part of who we are as a church, being intentional about about ministry to local people that are right around our neighborhood and people that are maybe not like us and then going out further and further to places where we might never be but um, still make it possible and just being make, making sure that we're that we're really keeping all of those places in mind as we're uh, on mission awesome thanks Lisa the third person I asked was Les and I asked Les if he could share, as a guy, I happen to know Les, Les's story, and Les has been around the church and a part of a church for a really long time. And I asked him, especially looking back, what has been the most important thing that the church has done, in your, in, in your opinion, just as you've looked back on all this time with being around and in a, in a church. So go ahead, Les. Thanks. I, I really like this church, so I got a little longer answer. I hope you bear, bear with me. How many of you remember the Moody Blues? What? <laughs> the Moody Blues. Thank you, thank you. 
late 60s, 70s. In 1970, they came out with a album. Remember what that was? Okay, a collection of songs. Uh, okay, a question of balance. Ten songs. The first one was question. It's like question everything. Well, that's cute on our grandson, but it's not very satisfying, is it? We need some answers. The last one, the last song of that series was balance. The balance. So they were seeking God, but they certainly didn't have many answers. That's kind of my quest for a church that has answers. And thankfully, Neighborhood Bible Church has some real answers. And I think that starts with worship. It's essential, isn't it, to recognize God and who He is. Recognize our Creator. How can we not recognize and worship God? It's just essential. Uh, and I am very thankful to the worship team and to and to Rob for leading us in worship. Mm-hmm. I did want Rob to know that the Moody Blues came from Birmingham, England, <laughs> not Birmingham, Alabama. So we can keep that in mind. Bible teaching, also very, very important. Vital, I think. We, we cannot be ignorant of the wisdom and treasure that God has for us in the Bible. Some of the treasure is easily found when we read it. Some we have to dig for it a little bit more. And that's important to do together. So that's an important uh, building block. A community group. This is the ultimate community group, as you can clearly see here, is our families. That's the ultimate uh, community group. But we also meet in smaller numbers together. And that's important to discuss what we've heard on Sunday morning what we see in the Bible, help us apply it together. Make us accountable to each other. That's that's community groups. Now here, I think, is a real miracle. Because God takes that worship, He takes Bible teaching, and He takes that time in community groups. And what does He do? Like Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, God asks Him, Who will go? And Isaiah says, Send me. And that's, that's what... I think he wants us to do with those first three building blocks is sharing outside of the church, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, uh, wherever God would take us, uh, uh, to communities, to outside of our communities, wherever God would lead us. That's, that's another important building block. So the cornerstone is Christ, but I think those four building blocks that we've talked about many times... I think it's very important that we recognize those and keep them balanced. That's the reference to a question of balance. So that's, and I'm very appreciative to um, NBC leadership for keeping that before us. I think that's very important. Uh, That's what I like about NBC. Excellent. We're going to wrap things up. I I wanted to do something with that. and just illustrate, even by who shared, how God's going to move this forward. Um, God is going to use young people. So young people getting a hold of the gospel and young people getting an understanding of what does the kingdom of God look like? How do I cooperate with what God is doing? How do I give myself to something really, really great that's going to far outlast me? And the voices of our young people being heard in our church in our midst, in our worship services, is vital. 
Olivia, thanks for reading. Other kids, thanks for reading. Travis, thanks for sharing some thoughts about that. Let's not overlook our kids and just say, well, man, one day God's going to use you in a really, really powerful way. You guys are people, and you guys have thoughts and emotions, and you guys have ideas about where the church is going. Travis answered a very future-looking question. What must the church do to reach this next generation? God's also going to use those who are kind of in middle-earth, middle-age season. And we've seen enough of life to, to to not be maybe young and naive and have no experience. We're really working hard in the middle phases of life. We have seen some life. We also know some more life is coming. And um, Lisa, your voice, thank you for what you shared. And just just the idea that, um, I don't know if you caught this, but all three of those had some very similar, similar kinds of ideas that were there. And it stripped away some of the glitz and glamour that sometimes you can do wanting to build a great something or other. There was no technology mentioned. doesn't matter about the technology. No one mentioned how hot or cold it is on a Sunday morning. That's frivolous. That's nonsense. That doesn't really matter. There's some fundamental key things. No one griped that we didn't have good enough or too many or too little potlucks, right? And yet those are sometimes the things that a church community can kind of get sidetracked onto to to, to be doing things. And then last, I'm going to be careful with my words here, but those who aren't young and aren't middle-aged, they have a voice that we need in our church community. And I praise God and... Um, I just want you to know this is a work of God that we have people around here at the camp trip and on a regular basis on Sunday morning who have been following the Savior longer than some of us have been alive. They've been following the Savior through up and down and through twists and turns. They just have experience that we need. We love that you're here. We've prayed from day one we won't be a church that um, just reacts it says, ah, oh, the, the old people are not letting this in. They're doing it wrong. Let's go nail it. Let's go get it right and screw it up ourselves. We've said we are not going to do that. But praise God, we've had some, some older people stick it out with us as we don't play maybe their favorite music every week. We don't do things the way they used to be done. And there's been a gracious reception that says, man, it's your time. You come in and you, you help make these things go on. Young people, let me say this. One of the ways that God, one of the things that God honored was this. God honors a humble heart that will come and say, love what we're doing, love the directions we're going. Is it possible we could try this? God's been stirring this in my heart. Could we try this? And that's a humble stance. Rather than coming in, barging in, and saying, you guys have it all wrong. We need to stop doing this and start doing this over here. A lot of times those are fads that kind of come and go. But I want, at our family table, at this church, I want the young person to know they have a voice at the table. We don't think that kids should be seen and not heard. We want to hear you. So speak up. And those of you who are in the middle somewhere, we want to hear you. Speak up. You've got the Holy Spirit as well. And those who've been around the block several times, we need your voice. We need to hear you. Speak up. And be a part of things. Um, Let me have the the band guys come on back up. We're going to close with a couple songs. Um, 
Just listen to this encouragement. Ephesians 2.22 Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Remember there was a time when you didn't have the hope for your healing as we just got to hear about. Excluded from citizenship. You weren't a part. Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. With that verse, let me just leave you with this idea. John came preparing the way for Jesus. Remember that? How is John related to Jesus? He was his cousin. His cousin comes, and from the time he was in the womb, God put a special spirit in John the Baptist. And he said, you're going you're gonna to be jumping for joy from the time you're in the womb to the time you start walking the earth, and you're going to prepare a message. Here was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? Near. He was heralding a message. We get to carry on the tradition of John the Baptist of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We preach it to ourselves first. Secondly is this. We hope in a, re- in a returning king. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Your citizenship is in heaven. So your hope is in a returning king. The last exhortation is this. Make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Matthew chapter 6 is this. People worry about stuff all the time. What's to eat? What are we doing next? Where am I going in life? How is that going to be provided for? When am I going to get married? Where am I going to go to school? How many kids will I have? All those kinds of things worry and consume people's attention. Jesus says this, Seek first my kingdom, kingdom of heaven. All this other stuff, God will care for you. Birds of the air that are jumping around your tent, God cares for them. So make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Church family, as we go forward in this, let's voice our opinion about different things, but let's make the kingdom of God, this kingdom we just read in kind of a sweeping motion today, let's make that our primary concern so that we don't become those who get choked out by all these different cares and concerns. I'm going to pray. We're going to take an offering. Uh, the way we do offering up here camping is we use our ammo box. Where's the ammo box? Jeff's going to get up, and it's going to just be passed. So as you see the ammo box go by, those are not free samples. That is the offering going to the Lord's work. So so be putting that in there. And Jeff, I want it back in your hands at the end of this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the fact that we can come get away, but still hold to our routine of gathering as your people talking about you, celebrating the work you've done, singing to you, giving to you. I thank you for the work that you're doing in this church. I pray, God, for um, not just a future generation, years and decades from now, that will receive this, although we want that. But, God, we pray for more immediate results, that in the next few seasons, the next few years, the next few school year cycles, that we will see families and singles and grandparents and widows, and students, and children added to our numbers for your glory and for your praise. And Father, we thank you that you used fumbling, bumbling Peter to make accurate theological proclamation. And I pray, God, that you would instill our hearts with joy and with hope that you could use us 
to shine forth your light to a dark world. God, we love you as your people. We want to sing and give mightily to you right now, God, knowing that we can never outgive you, and so we just do it to mimic you. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.